0: Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment in it. BankTech identifies the leading products and technologies and entrepreneurs behind them for community banks. And then we work with those founders and management teams to maximize the impact for both the community banks and their respective businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in your future, or a founder who wants to work with and through community banks, reach out to BankTech Ventures, banktechventures.com. I am super excited in the Uh, Spirit of Bank Tech Ventures, to talk to David Wexler on the podcast today. I've had the pleasure of getting to know and working with David a lot over the last year, and we have some very strongly held views, both, I would say, similarly shared views about the future state of technology architecture in financial services, in the entire industry, and we're going to talk about that today. David's the co-founder and CEO of PortX, which is a leading integration as a service platform for financial services. He's working with dozens of community financial institutions and fintech companies. So he's working in between and with both of them and really enabling them all to work together more efficiently, more consistently, and more scalably in the existing and the future architecture that we see in front of us. He's got a long history in application integration and services around it, including time at MuleSoft and Microsoft. He has lived this world for a long, long time and is definitely an expert in it. He's a huge champion of the value that community banks play in our financial economy, and he's really committed to enabling them to more effectively compete as they digitally transform. And that's why we've come together in such a a clear way. David, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, thanks for having me, Kerry. Super excited to be talking with you today. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the founding story of Port X. How did we get here to where we are now? Yeah, that's a,
1: a that that's a story I seem to I tell quite a bit because it really does, I think, uh, define w- why this concept ultimately made sense. Yeah, so you know, I've I've been as you kind of alluded to, I've been doing the integration thing for quite a while. Microsoft, quite a bit early on um, uh, the old the old brand BizTalk server, which uh, always gets chuckles uh, on my yes. Microsoft colleagues. Been around quite a while actually, so I was part of that project with my co-founder and uh, current CTO uh, Kent Brown, um, who so jointly we were really working very early in that in, in that stage and um you know at the time uh, we were working uh with the Microsoft Azure group as part of that technology and so cre- creating uh apis with cloud-based technology was just kind of nascent early days around that kind of stuff and so um you know that was that was really my first exposure to the integration stuff fortunately I unfortunately had that entrepreneurial spirit carry so you know that's kind of kind of what I have to do and so I ended up starting my own company um which you know we really focused on being a service provider for integration technologies. And so working with the technologies like the Microsoft product, and, and as you alluded to MuleSoft as well, um, to help in, uh, organizations across the board really, um, uh, be able to, to uh, you take advantage of integration as a technology. Cause it's, you know, really become a hot space over the last, uh, 10 or so years. And, um, um, in that, in the process of that, you know, um, some of Kent's background, he he uh, he's got some pretty heavy uh, experience with financial services organizations. I think I rec- it's uh, check free and, and and Morgan Stanley and a few other interesting uh, organizations he worked with. And so, you know, we kind of got tagged to be the financial services focused uh, uh, organization. We also had worked with a lot of really interesting core vendors at Microsoft too. So we 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 you know we had some good knowledge on the on the financial services space. And so uh, it, as, as inevitably happens when you're working with startups like like MuleSoft was at the time, there's like, hey, you, you, can you can, can you kind of come do this project? And so over time, you know, we really kind of became the community banking, uh, uh, community financial institution uh, focused organization. And so in, in the course of that, you know, we got to work a lot with organizations and really understand the business drivers and things like that around Um, how applications work across their core platforms and online banking systems. And ultimately, we determined that, you know, the general purpose integration tools that we were so used to just really weren't going to be a good fit for this space. And so um, that's when we made a decision a few years ago to pivot and start to build software and kind of going back to my roots, uh, really building software. And so um, did that, um, Got some early success working with uh, community banks and credit unions ac- across the board, and you know, quickly realized that this this is this is a thing we need to scale up. And so um, I got introduced to you and started looking at how do we fund this thing and ultimately take it out take it out to market.
0: Well, as as we've talked about, David, and thank you for sort of getting us uh, to here. Yeah, this this has been uh, historically not the way that most community banks and credit unions and others have added on technologies into their overall uh, business and and the architecture that they've used. Um, You know, you have these big core vendors on one side, companies like FIS and Pfizer, Jack Henry and others. And then we've just seen this explosion of new financial technology capabilities in the last decade Many of whom have also had to figure out how do they talk to those systems as well. As you think about historically, like looking backwards, why has this been such a challenging industry for integration historically? So let's let's start with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's kind of interesting. I talk about this quite a bit with um, uh, the when I when I go in and talk with financial institutions around around the. Um, you know really the design of organizations um and you know financial services and maybe to some extent healthcare are really the only two spaces that have really not used a lot of the best practices around um what, what we'll call uh, proper application designs application stack designs. so thinking about how do you bring in a variety of different applications that you use to run your business but do it in a way that is uh, allows you the most flexibility and scale and speed and all these kind of things. And so, for for a number of reasons, I think the financial services space just you know has has lagged behind that a little bit, uh, particularly in the community community financial space. And I think a lot of it's because you know to some extent the solutions were just there, um, and the need to actually kind of innovate internally at the organization. Um, was was you know mostly taken on by some of the some of the premier vendors that are in this space um, you know oftentimes the cores and other applications that, you know, are really able to just kind of do that work as a, as a side note to to the other applications? But you know, that's kind of started to change a little bit because, and I think a lot of it's just you've got so many new fintechs and bank technology vendors who are disrupting you know various points of of the technology in the space, and that's starting to really force community financial institutions to wake up and say, hey. Well, the core can't necessarily provide that application anymore, or maybe the best of breed is now moved to, you know, LOS systems with a different technology or, you know, online account opening with with a, a new fintech vendor. Like these kind of things are, 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 are very much now mature technologies, but we need to integrate them into the space. And so now it's like, oh, wait, we now have to do, we have to take this approach of uh, best practice architecture so that we can most effectively manage multiple vendors in this space.
0: Totally, totally makes sense. Well, let's let's kind of go. You know what? What's the next level of value that that comes from this? You know, as I, I, I know, I've shared with you, I'm amazed when I talk to banks often how long they are planning for a project to take. Right? It's almost comfortable for them to talk in terms of months when it comes to a project, and I go, it shouldn't take months. Like things should not take this long. I've been in software for multiple decades, and it, it's been 20 years since I've seen projects take this long. You, why does it take so long?
1: Yeah, no, you're 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 totally right, Like this is this is why, and I hear this. There is almost like an exhaustion level from the the CTOs and and uh, VPs at at the organizations at the financial organizations work with the banks work with. It's just the reality is is that the way that the vendor contracts have been designed up to this date and the lock-in from the various contracts limits your ability to um, control what you have access to. And I think that's, that's like we'll call it fundamental what's needs to start to change now. And so technologically speaking, there's usually a way into uh, uh, um, into any sort of application, but you have to have the, internal capability to one think about this is this is a different model that we want to be able to use like we, we've got to be able to start thinking in the, in that model and think starting to think of integration as a bit of a part of the strategy um and that and that will start to open up um options with your vendors like that 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 seems to be what, what drives that um But then you also have to start thinking about um, kind of internal enablement. How do we start to uh, train up our people to start to think about um, uh, evaluating various sorts of, like, maybe smaller technologies and things like that that could actually start to make a difference in the space? I mean, the the length of time it's taken right now, like, and we hear it all the time, 12 to 18 months to implement a single project. And we're like, it's crazy, right? The problem is, is that when you bring in a new application like a FinTech, you're having to expose that Application to all kinds of different technologies, legacy technologies that you're using today, um, and from a variety of different sources, and so going to figure out how to do that becomes a huge part of the challenge. We need to go unplug and plug in all these systems from things that just have been running for a long time, and that creates that creates a lot of time in the middle. And then on top of that, you know you have to know how to do that. And so it's, you're effectively learning while you're doing each time. And then when you actually do create that that connection between two systems, you're effectively creating a brittle connection, a, a single uh, point of what we call a point-to-point connection. And that's not reusable. So all that learning, all that all that uh, experimenting and testing, whether you did it or your vendor did it or a contractor did it, it doesn't actually matter. It's all used only one time. There's no reusable value out of that. And so again, you get this constant almost uh um uh um, you know, this wheel where you're just come going round and round and round, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like the gerbils, right? Like you go round and round around and it's and doing the same thing over and over again because you're not getting any other reusable value. We've got to start to change that. Like that's that and then this is what we get passionate about at Portax is like like how do we start to make it so that when you do work, it's it generates value in and of itself. We start to create that reusable value and and real really assets for the organization.
0: Absolutely, I mean it's it's really the reason you implement software in the first place is to mm-hmm. try to create efficiency, automation. Yeah, you know, part of what probably drew me into the software industry so long ago is I will laughingly say at times I'm kind of lazy. And what I mean is, I don't want to have to do the same rote routine thing over and over and over. If I can figure out how to have a computer do it, and then I can work on the things that are more energizing and creative, the the human aspects of work that I so enjoy. I mean, I think you know I'm not actually lazy, but that um, is why to not have to do something a second, third, fourth time, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. is is huge so let's yeah, so- software yeah. is effectively infinite scale right like
1: that's that's, right. that's the beauty of this right I, I say this all the time like like once you get out of the old model of connecting point to point with systems you know a computer doesn't care whether it's two systems 20 systems or 200 systems that's right. right you can automatically uh, update things in an effective way and automate this is that word automate right mm-hmm. we hear about it it's a bit of a buzzword but but actually what is it really doing we're, we're trying to help multiple systems do the same thing all at the same time. So you reduce transcription errors, you reduce, you know, a complicated manual processes, you get, you get some of the, the, um, that manual labor out of the process and actually makes it a better system.
0: Exactly. So let's go level down, talk about a specific situation. So you come in, I'm, I'm looking at bringing in this fintech to connect into my financial institution and you come in and you help me speed up that implementation in a really significant way explain how that actually works
1: yeah absolutely i mean it, really we have to take it back to 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 the, the foundation of the infrastructure to re, to really get to this point but what what we need to start to do is rethink how we bring in that fintech and so you know the traditional way to do it let's let's start there is we're gonna go contract with our vendor. The vendor says, Hey, we connect with that core, or we don't connect with that core, and then that becomes your decision point <laughs> whether you use that vendor. That's gotta change. Like that, that can't be the reason. Like you've got to when you bring in an app, an when you choose your fintech application bringing in, you really want to bring in the best of breed application for the business purpose that it solves, not for the fact that it connects to your core or your your system of record in in your organization that is truly like best of breed is truly the best practice here we want to get to that point for organizations and so you want to bring in that best of breed technology well now you have to start to standardize the way you interact with systems behind the scenes, and so this is this is i think really what we think is you know best practice around this concept we call apis so apis get lots of lots of buzz Um, everyone's hearing about them you know all the vendors are talking about them but really they're just this foundational element that allows you to connect things in a standardized way it documents and allows access and simplifies the way the complex systems behind it work which allows you to give that to a vendor and say hey this is a well-documented easy to view way to connect your systems together and so what we do, um, and this is, this is our recommended approach to this, is we really need to take those kind of legacy, your traditional systems, legacy systems, your, your core systems of record. We need to effectively abstract the connection between those systems. And what that means is you're taking the, the way you interact with that system and you're modeling it into a very, very simple code base. You know, The example I like to use a lot is Stripe. Like if you go look at the Stripe APIs, they're very they're actually very, very simple. Founders of Stripe will often say like seven lines of code to set up a a card, a cards, card, card stripe process. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're taking your core process, like a, opening an account, um, moving money, uh, booking loans, things like that, all those concepts. We can put that into code, a very, very simple code base. And that code base is a hundred percent understandable by a proper developer. So you give that to any good fintech worth its salt they're going to know exactly what to do with that it's very very straightforward and so by implementing that now you've changed it you don't have to know some specialist technology to go integrate with that core system or those courses those systems record you just need to know what that that api says and now that simplifies your approach to integrating that system so you get rid of that specialization you get rid of um you get rid of the complexity that's behind that and then ultimately now it lets you set up complex processes into also simply into code so we can automate that right so you can put a uh, a rule or a concept into into that code base that automates that connection to multiple complex systems once you do that the world opens up for your ability to do fintechs because now that connection is massively simplified you can have them do it you can just provide them your documentation you can also standardize how uh how how you pick your vendors right cuz i think that could, that's what's important too here cuz you need to start to say if you don't fit my requirements i can't work with you um you've got you've got to you've got to be able to fit the standard and best practice for connecting the systems
0: totally and i think that that raises really my next question i feel like the number one question that i hear when a bank is talking to a potential new fintech today the very first question is do you integrate with my core and I feel like what, you know, where you and I really align it's all the time from fintech that we work with. is yeah. yeah. And we need to help elevate the set of questions to more of a strategic set. That's a very tactile question. How do we equip in your mind? How do we equip banks to say, here are the expectations. Here are the strategic questions you really should be asking from these software companies that you're thinking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, actually I'll even take a step back on that and really say that if you if you implement a proper um API model, proper data model with APIs, and again that's a complex term, but it's actually simplifying your connection to systems. So if you implement a proper data model, it changes the way you interact with these vendors too. We hear a lot about, and we actually get asked for help in supporting RFPs and all these kind of long cycle contracting times that, that, you know, in theory is nice to get all those requirements up front, but in reality, you're, you're still not actually engaging the system to work. And so, what you want to start moving to you know we hear a lot about this it's a kind of fail fast methodology right that you know obviously facebook made famous conversationally but really it's a software principle which mm-hmm. is that you want to be able to try things out as quickly as possible and see if they're actually going to work for you how do you do that well it's not going to be connecting you know, finding having to go figure out your connection to your core every single time you need to bring in a new vendor but if you put apis in front of it Oh, well, the world starts to change. Because now you can give that uh, sandbox environment, that that proof of concept environment, that uh, that where they can actually run a test and actually show, hey, this is working. This is how it's going to work end-to-end with my system. And that will give you a much better way to evaluate that technology. So, again, we need to change the paradigm for how we interact with uh, fintech vendors. Um, and I think that's the start of it.
0: So as you think about the banks that you meet, that you work with, what areas within there do you feel like they lack from a capability or knowledge that prevents them from making these steps forward?
1: Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is I get asked all the time, do I need to go hire a team of developers? You get asked that all the mm-hmm. time. And I'm like, you know, that is an option. You could do that. If you want to become a development shop, you, uh, if that's part of your strategy as a financial organization, we are going to develop our own applications. Absolutely. That's an option. You don't actually have to though. Like right. that that's what we have started. It's been a bit of our, a bit of our, um, uh, a light bulb moment at, at Port X too is like, we don't, we don't need to require that, um, financial institutions have developers on staff in order to start to, implement the best practice models i think i think that's an important factor mm-hmm. that's it's more of a decision point because developers are expensive sure. they're hard to find uh, good ones are very very hard to find and oftentimes you know there's a lot of job hunting in that industry mm-hmm. right hopping mm-hmm. in the industry so again you we you know we ask ourselves a lot well is a developer going to go work at a community bank you know in the middle of the country or are they going to go work for google right i mean that's that's Sure. That's a that's a that's a question we have to ask ourselves, right? So the question is, well then how do we still implement right technology in order to be digital? My my view right now is that I really believe we need to move away from uh we'll call it analyst specialists at the organization and start moving to where financial institutions are really um, um Uh, turning their analysts into product managers. Like Mm. I think that that's really how we start to change it. Cause we need to say is like, it's not that you're the person that's an expert at this particular brand of application, LOS system, core system payments. It doesn't matter. You don't need to be experts in that you're an expert in the business function at the bank for actually Mm. Um, pushing this to the customer what does that do well it puts you in front of the customer now you're actually working with customers to understand what their needs are Mm -hmm. you're building the analysis of how to best solve that need and then that allows you to be best positioned to go start evaluating best of breed uh, fintech that are actually going to make a a difference there or if if it's the right thing to do let's hire a developer to build a cool experience but if you've got, if you start moving, changing that thinking away from reacting to the connections that are being pushed on you to actually driving a business analysis conversation with your customers, very powerful, very powerful in how it can change the operation of the, of the, of the bank.
0: Hmm. So how would you encourage someone to learn about, like, uh, let's say I, I've been in banking for my entire career. I have a cursory understanding of, Systems, how would you encourage people to become more comfortable in understanding how software actually works to, to get and, and work together to become more confident in having these conversations?
1: Yeah. Um, that's a loaded question, unfortunately, because uh, you and I have spent years and years and years, uh, you know, being in the software industry to understand some of this stuff. It, it, some you know, underlying it is, is a very complex reality behind it, but here's what I would say. I mean, there are tons of good materials out there around, around learning this stuff. Um, and even to some extent, even in the financial services space. So there's, there's plenty of material out there. You can, you can read up on this stuff, but the reality is, is, digital is not an option anymore. This is not an option for financial institutions. You have to start experimenting now, and this is this is what I've said a couple times to some institutions that you know it's not an urgent need for us to connect some systems together, but we've got you know we know it's going to come in the future. Well, if you know it's going to come in the future, you need to start experimenting now. And sure. so, I think my my recommendation is start with smaller pilot projects. Like, where, where are the where's the low hanging fruit? We can start to evaluate a new model. Uh, for connecting systems together and start looking at how do we move off of our traditional core focused model of, you know, the core will help us do the integration and do the connections and do the digitization to start to think like, how can we start to do a very small amount of integration with a new system? Maybe it's online account opening. Maybe it's connecting, uh, maybe like uh, automating a simple wire function, wire wire process, that kind of thing. But starting small, um, you know, limiting the investment, then over time, like it's starting to, to to prove that. I think, I mean, it's a tried and
0: true way to do it in software development. Um, I think it works here too. Hmm. Let's say you're asked to design from scratch a product and technology team within a community bank, what does that look like to you starting from scratch? I mean, you mentioned sort of turning into folks into product managers, maybe, maybe not hiring developers, but if you, if you're tasked with, we need to digitally transform, we've got a lot of road ahead of us. What, how do you start that in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, I, I think
1: I think you're kind of actually alluding to exactly how I would design it. So I think the first thing I would do is, you know, number one, we need to we need to abstract everything in the organization. So that's the first thing we need to do. So we need to bring in technology and solutions that allow us to disconnect uh, applications from each other. And you know, it starts with the core, but you know, client lending systems, third party data systems, because you ultimately need to build, and this is, it gets a little technical here, but we need to build a microservices architecture. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the right way to do it. So we need to, we need to set up a microservices architecture where we own the connections between applications at the financial institution, not, not the vendors themselves. And so by setting that up, now we've standardized the data model between them. Um, and then we start bringing in new technologies to do that. Now, to set up and start to do that, what we need is product managers. Now, the wonderful part about this is you actually have a whole team of people that understand the way banks function. You just mm-hmm. need them to start thinking about it in business cases versus thinking about it in typical, like, you know, how do we go script something in the core, but really how do we think about it from a use case standpoint? So you can actually, uh, we've found in, in our experience with this is that we can convert people that traditionally are core, doing a lot of the core analysis and core development work, we can convert them into product managers um, just by starting to think about it in business case business cases rather than in, um, in, in focusing on, on the core application. And so I think you need to bring in some of that um, you need some level of, you need someone focused on architecture. Like you need mm-hmm. to start to say, Hey, um, who, how are how are we actually not just thinking about the business function, but how these um, technologies interact with each other as a primary focus of the organization. So it's part of the strategy. And so it could be done fractionally. You, you know, this is, this is not necessarily a full-time job, but also I think, you know, you can start to either train up organ- people inside of it or bring in, uh, firms still. And we do a lot of that kind of work with our organizations. We kind of help them on a annual or, or, you know, three or four times a year. Like let's, let's make sure we're evaluating the architecture properly. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the chief innovation officer. I think that's a, that's a really good approach to this. Like, cause again, we need people, we need the, the, the organization really does ultimately have to be consumer focused and developing technology, that solves a problem for consumers, and so like that end-to-end business uh, capability is critically important.
0: Mm-hmm. Some some really there's, good
1: thoughts in there, and there's a lot more to it too, Carrie. <laughs> again, of course, like designing designing a software company is, you
0: know, we've done this, we've built software companies. Like you're kind of moving that into into, their, and then well, you're almost you know, yeah, you're helping them overlay or transition. A mini software company within a mini operation. And yeah, I think you know, part of where my head is continuing to go is around this idea that you know, having built a couple of pretty significant fintech companies, that a fintech company is probably a better organizational structure for banks of the future than banks and their org structures today. And yeah. they they have more of this hybridized technology and operations business as a fintech versus a bank that hasn't quite made that leap to thinking and and designing and building an organization around more of a digital model. So is it fair in your mind to think about these microservices from an analogy, almost like Lego blocks, or what? what's the right way you would think about an analogy yeah, that people no, can wrap use that. their head around?
1: Yeah, we use the Lego block analogy all the time
0: because that's exactly what you're
1: doing. What you want to do is take these really, really complex processes that you have at the financial institution mm-hmm. and, and really any business in the world, right? You When you build a business, you build all these complex processes and systems and you're bringing all this. And, and it's over time, it just gets layered on, layered on, layered on. What we're doing with microservices or APIs is we're breaking them down to very much much smaller um kind of logical um uh uh uh, services basically Mm -hmm. within the organization Mm -hmm. And so what that like a good example like i like to use is is um uh third-party data checks right so you know the idea of like the reality is you need to use third-party data checking across lots of different types of acts you Mm -hmm. know lending Mm -hmm. like if, if you need to approve a loan or need to you need to um do kyc checks on a new account opening or maybe you need to validate that a transaction coming over is is i mean these are all like third-party data checking sources that you need to potentially do in real time to do like you know the way it's done commonly is either your your applications are already kind of doing it behind the scenes and so you don't see it Mm -hmm. or um or, you know, you're kind of stringing together a bunch of stuff that, um, it, you know, behind the scenes, you kind of don't have a lot of control over. By making it a microservice, now you can plug, you've got control over plugging it into multiple applications and you can start creating new use cases, right? Like, hmm. so that's like a lot of our, uh, a lot of the institutions are working with, they're looking at, hey, how do we get into real-time payments like the FedNow project that's coming out soon? And it's like, well, you've got to start being able to do real-time data checks on that. Sure. Like, how do you do that? Uh well, set up a microservice and connect it to your
0: workflow. That's that's the way to do it. Great example. Let's let's talk about another term that gets thrown around a lot. There are a bunch of them, but no code is a term that gets thrown around a lot. You know, as, as you start to get into a scenario where you have a whole bunch of these Lego blocks, you have a bunch of these microservices. It seems like this idea of no-code actually starts to be much more possible, that I could have a a list of these. It's understood in the software how they work together or get layered in, and I'm doing more of a design as a product person who understands the customer or understands the the use case. So let's talk a little bit first about what is no-code from your perspective, and then Let's talk about how, really, you know, you helping shift the architecture within these institutions may enable them to really move forward much faster with things like no-code tools in the future. So let's start with, how do you define no-code from from your perspective?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it, yeah, I've been doing this a while. Then no-code has been thrown around a lot, uh, yes. uh, really, since I since I started it, in, in integration. And it, it's a bit of the holy grail of 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 the space is like you know at some point you just click a button and just everything just happens right you can magically use a UI. Unfortunately, the reality is these systems are so complex and there's so many so many endpoints and so many companies involved. Like that's it's it's a it's a huge task. So you know I think, and, and low code gets thrown around a lot too. That's that's the other way to think about it as well. But I think I think you know you can start to get to that again, like I said, like I said earlier, like you don't necessarily have to hire developers in organization in order to accomplish, you know, the digitization of the, of the organization. And, and it also doesn't mean you have to give up control either. And so the question is what are the low code, no code, um, c- code agnostic tools you can put in place um, either as services as, 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 smaller point-based services that ret- help you retain control um, or uh, help you set up an operational process right and so I think that's that's where it really gets down to is that um you know a lot I, I think that there are a lot of really great tools and, and we we put some of them in our platform things like workflow tools and you and, and like we use a lot of open source based technology for that kind of stuff and so it's like there's a lot of great tools for just being able to create a simple workflow those connect to things like apis uh, in order to help you, Uh, automate a process right those kind of things and and that that's a relatively low code piece now you have to have some of that infrastructure in place right and that's that's where we work with a lot of banks uh to actually put that initial infrastructure so that then their analysts can use something like a workflow tool or an rpa tool on top of that and that allows you to kind of automate some of that process very effectively and position it out to uh, a user experience for customers to self-service And you can get to that point where you're really not coding per se, but under
0: the covers, there is code still really happening. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, great, great examples there. The other thing I I think I'm really seeing clearly is when I have as a bank, I have a really clear ROI case or impact that I can see from moving forward on an investment or a project. Or building a new capability. When that's clear, I see they they community banks can move forward pretty fast, and I've seen that happen. How are you thinking about helping them see ROI from working with Portex? As you know, you're you're in many cases bringing this enabling capability may not be overt. So how, let's talk a little bit about ROI and how you help them understand that better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the one we talked to at the, at the top of that is always uh, you know speed of projects, right? Because again, the, we talked about the beginning of of, of the session here is like the reality is every institution wants to do more projects faster. So how do how do we do that? And that's. That's really at the end of the day one of the big business drivers. is We can say, look, by implementing a proper integration infrastructure, using it as a part of your strategy, now your ROI um, is really about how do we how do we move from doing projects twelve to eighteen months to one to two months, right? And I think that's a, a very attainable goal. Even less than that, in some cases, we've seen where you know you're you're moving multiple projects in a month. That that's that's the holy grail this thing because then you're now bringing applications that are generating money. You're able to do new things with data. You're able to think about um, uh, new use cases and connecting to new types of systems. And you're able to reduce your cost, too. And that's the other part of the ROI story on this is that um, when when you're enabled internally to be able to connect more of the digital systems together in a standardized way, Um, It allows you to kind of get around some of the middlemen that are a a large part of the banking technology space right now and connect directly to payment networks, uh, directly to applications, directly to services, um, and do it at a much lower cost. Um, And and that's really cool. The last piece, though, and this is um, maybe the slightly controversial one, is it also allows you to reduce your switching costs. And so once your switching costs are lower, you've got some ability to renegotiate with uh, some of
0: your vendors. Yeah, I think that one I I just need to draw particular attention to that because I think in some cases we were talking earlier about giving banks more control and power over the questions to ask, the conversations to have with vendors to not feel like they're being manipulated or controlled, you know, when uh, a vendor is unwilling to work with someone like you as an example, I take that as a sign that they are trying to create more lock in that isn't necessarily true value from their solution and again banks need to be able and equipped and confident to push back and say no no this is a best practice architecture this is the way that you're going to work with us we want to get the value from what you offer and if you have that great but if you don't and somebody else comes along with something better we're the customer we get to choose
1: yeah, no, it, it really is the right way to manage your vendors, um, and especially in a digitized world. And, you know, again, you, you need to think about it not just from a contractual business standpoint, but also technology. What 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 is that in, how does that impact your ability or inability to have lock-in with your with your vendors?
0: Yes. Well, Dave, this has been such a great conversation. So let's talk about what you've learned so far. You've been working with banks now for several years. What do you wish you had known? Before you started deeply involving yourself in this industry that you now know, <laughs> um,
1: wow, yeah, it's it's been a while. We, we started this quite quite a while ago. No, I I think um, I, I think I think the biggest thing is really understanding uh, from a banker perspective, like how they interact with their customers, and you know, I, and really to some extent. Like how much values could be derived um, uh, through those consumer interactions, and so what we've really found is that at the end of the day, when we start to get access to data at, at this at this at a really scaled level, like there's so much that can be created around products. And you know, I think if we could have done that earlier, I think we you know there's some interesting products I would have probably built. But you know, it's a it's a really cool space that we're we're in right now. Agree, agree.
0: Let's talk about you yourself as a founder, right? You mentioned earlier, you know, you're the entrepreneur, I can fully relate to that. You you decided, I've got to go start this company. There's a clear need in this industry to help it all move forward. Moving from founder where you kind of do everything, becoming a CEO as the company really is growing and the work that you do day to day, how are you learning? How are you developing yourself into becoming a CEO of a company that just has incredible potential?
1: Yeah, no, it's, um, it, it, it is, it's, it's, a good question. Um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, personally, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, a, a voracious, uh, Uh, absorber of advice. (laughs) So, you know, I, you know, I've created an advisory board and I think that really helps like give me a lot of an outlet as, as just kind of solving some of these hard problems. Um, You know, there's also tons of good material out there, but, you know, I think what's really kind of key is you really got to build a good team um, at your executive level. Um, And so you need people you can trust, you need people that can dig in, and ultimately drive the vision forward that you're setting out for, and uh, are going to have that resiliency that, to go forward. And that's every 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 problem
0: is unique, and ultimately, it's what drives us forward. So, trends. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about no code. What's the biggest trend you're tracking following in banking technology right now? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I hate to bring it back again
1: because I just talked about it, but I do. I really, the data stuff is super exciting right now. So I I can't tell you say this a lot to banks is there's a huge rich data set underneath, uh, you know, transactions and and the consumer accounts and all that kind of stuff. And the reality is like we are just tapping the surface of what's possible in terms of creating new products and services around this kind of stuff. And so um, I'm super excited about that, and I'm super excited about. uh real-time payments i'm super like we're getting a lot of interest and excitement around that now and a lot of the new services around it and so i think there's uh, a great potential there that uh, moving a lot of organizations
0: to become real-time financial institutions very cool what are you most excited about for portex in the next year as you look ahead uh yeah
1: um well we're 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 growing really fast. We've got a lot of new projects that we're trying to deliver against right now. So that's a big part of our, we're putting our head down and just getting it done right now. But um, we're also looking at building some new products um, and capabilities. And so, you know, really expanding out um, how we think about payments and uh, even looking at stuff like international payments, which is super exciting right now. Um, We think from a capability standpoint. So we've got some new stuff coming down there. Um, and then we're also looking at um, how do we uh, simplify the process to start using your data better. And I think those are the two big areas we're most excited about
0: this year. Very good. Well, let's uh, let's paint a little bit farther out picture. So, my last question today, David, if you look out five years from now, what is the biggest impact that Portex has had in our world in the financial industry?
1: Yeah, well, I'm really hoping that we bring integration as a strategy to the financial services space because it's not just in the US, but worldwide. This is a a big challenge for the financial services space. And a lot of it has come because, look, it is a regulated industry. Um, You have to trust the way you do these things and start to build the capabilities. And so, you know, I'm hoping we're bringing awareness to the space that this is a key and critical part of how. in the financial services sector needs to work, and ultimately starts driving it forward faster. And so, I think that's I think that's what we're doing right now. And I think in five years, we could really see the finance the way financial service products are built
0: going a lot faster than they are right now.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, David, thank you so much. I always enjoy our conversations. I know we could do this for much much longer than we had time for today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for sharing the the Portex story, which is very much still being written. And I'm so excited that I get to work with you on this and I enjoy it so much and really excited for what's ahead. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. Now appreciate all the support BankTech brings to us. So it's great stuff. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.